Welcome to another inspirational episode of Monetizing Your Creativity. I'm Michael Greenfield. I'm a guitar maker. As long as the, the engine is strong and you're producing quality, the money will always be there. So my focus is always on delivering the best product that I can and providing exceptional customer service. Monetizing Your Creativity asks the question, what does it take to earn a living with your creative talents? through a personal connection who is a business partner of Mick Jagger's. The question was asked at that time, well, you know, maybe Mick would be interested in an instrument. Mick said, well, not so much for him, but maybe Keith would be. And we were put in touch with Keith's people. The guitar was with him all the time. I was told it was with him in the hotel, and then it went from the hotel to the venue, and it was in the, the dressing room, and it traveled with him on his personal jet, not with the rest of the gear of the Stones. So it was the guitar du jour for quite a while. We focus on the success principles common to all disciplines by interviewing producers, directors, writers, actors, cinematographers, music composers, animators, designers, and much, much more. Learn how to create your own path to success. Let's roll. Well, hello everyone and welcome to another episode of Monetizing Your Creativity. I'm your host Marvin Polis. Not joining me this time is our co-host Fred Keating. Fred is in some other exotic location. He's chasing down some other interviews for Monetizing Your Creativity while I'm in Montreal, Canada. And I'm in a very special location. I'm in the location of Michael Greenfield. Now he's a custom guitar maker. Michael, tell me about this. This is an amazing location. It is. Thank you for having me on your show. Unfortunately, your listeners can't see it, but we're on the top of a 120-year-old industrial building. I have 70 linear feet of windows, and the windows are eight feet tall, and we're pretty much bathed in sunlight. So if you do craft or art, it's an ideal place to be. Tell me about these fantastic machines that we're looking at. Right now, we're in what is referred to as the machine room. Uh, for Well, maybe not so obvious, but it's a room where I keep all of the machinery, the raw woodworking happens here. It's a in quotes, a dirty area where a lot of sawdust is generated. But notwithstanding that, all of the machines that we see here are hooked up to a central dust collection system, which is a giant vacuum cleaner. So even when we're working, it's a pretty dust-free environment. Great. Now, although there are a lot of machines here, the last word that I would ever use to describe this place is a factory, because you make these instruments one at a time for real people. That's correct. Uh, I'm a custom guitar maker. I don't make them one at a time. I make several at a time, but even if I make four or five of the same model, each one of them is usually not completely different, but there are differences. Now your guitars are actually out there around the world and they're being used by some very accomplished musicians, some of them very famous. I want you to tell me the story about Keith Richards. It's an interesting story. It was certainly interesting to me through a personal connection who is a business partner of Mick Jagger's. The question was asked at that time, well, you know, maybe Mick would be interested in an instrument. Mick said, well, not so much for him, but maybe Keith would be. And we were put in touch with Keith's people. A conversation actually started and after some back and forth, it was put that, well, we're coming through town in January of 2006 have an instrument ready, bring it down to the venue. Keith and his people, well, first of all, his people, but if it passed the first ring, the first perimeter of security, Keith would look at it, and if he's interested, he would buy the guitar, and if he wasn't interested, it was my guitar. And the rest is, yeah, I don't want to say the rest is history, but history is such that he loved the guitar and he purchased it, and a couple months after, I was still in communication with the people in Keith's 
entourage and uh, they actually ordered a second instrument to be used on stage. And what kind of feedback are you getting from him and others? Personal feedback from Keith, there was very little other than the several times that I met him in person and it was a conversation between myself and an artist who was surprisingly grounded considering his stature. But the conversation usually happened between myself and his personal assistant, his manager and his guitar tech. The feedback was that at the time, and I'm not going to disillusion myself that, oh, this is the great love of his life, but at the time, probably for about six months, the guitar was with him all the time. I was told it was with him in the hotel, and then it went from the hotel to the venue, and it was in the, the dressing room, and it traveled with him on his personal jet, not with the rest of the gear of the Stones. So it was the guitar du jour for quite a while. Now, my personal narrative is that famous last scene of Raiders in the Lost Ark, where there's the warehouse full of the crates, so I imagine that the guitar is probably in a warehouse of guitars that resembles that scene. Well, maybe, maybe not. Your, your instruments are fantastic. Now, the second instrument, when we were talking earlier, before we started recording, you had mentioned that that one was actually custom-made to the specifications provided to you by his people. Yeah, that's correct. Being in the business as long as I have been, and having started in the repair business, I had a network of friends, and one of whom is a very famous restorer of uh, antique and vintage instruments. He works for Christie's and Sotheby's and all those people. And he is part of the Rolling Stones crew, and this is just serendipitous, but he works there. And his reason for working there is he takes care of the collection. So when the commission came in, I asked him for specifications from Keith's main stage guitar, which is, if I remember correct, a 1931-0041 or 21. Anyway, an old Martin from 1931. And uh, I received all of the specifications and measurements and how he likes the guitar set up and the string spacing of the saddle and et cetera, et cetera. So that was wonderful because it allowed me to make an instrument right out of the chute that he would feel comfortable on. Now tell me the story about the Australian supergroup Men at Work. Okay, well, let me tell you about Colin Hay from Men at Work. Colin, unbeknownst to me, purchased one of my instruments through one of my dealers. I don't have many, but I do have a few. And he walked into this person's shop and purchase the guitar for full price. Then about a week later, I received an email from the agent telling, hey, guess what? Colin Hay from Men at Work was just here and he bought your, it was a G1, I believe, one of my guitars. And I thought, oh, gee, that's exciting and it's great. And that was the end of it. And about six months later, I received a phone call saying that, hey, it's Colin Hay. And at first I thought maybe it was a prank call, <laughs> but no, in fact, it was Colin Hay. He was coming through Montreal on tour and would I mind if he came to visit me in the workshop? So of course I said, not at all. And he mentioned that he had purchased this guitar and he would like to commission a second one. So he came by and we spent an afternoon together, gave him the tour of the workshop and we talked about what it is that he needed out of the instrument and uh, he commissioned a second guitar. Now these are just two stories about many of your clients Many of them are world-famous musicians. Many of them are very, very serious, just personal musicians. They don't necessarily perform. Tell me about the business of show business in your case. How do these people actually find you? It's very difficult. I'm not unique in that I'm a small artisan. I make my living from craft. And to do it on my level in my own city would be impossible to make a living because there would be perhaps a dozen people in the city who would be interested in a high-end custom-made instrument. So really, 
I have to make a lot of noise on the global stage. If I was a multinational corporation with an advertising budget of several hundred million dollars a year, it would be easier because I don't think anything is easy. But for a small independent business such as myself to be heard amongst all the noise, especially with what's going on in social media these days, it's quite a challenge. I started this business over 20 years ago. There was an internet and there was email, but websites were almost non-existent. The cool factor of the handmade guitar hadn't really come into fruition yet. And we ran around North America at the time because that's where the scene was and presented our work at vintage guitar shows, crafts fairs, bluegrass festivals, folk festivals. There was one in the 90s called the Healdsburg Guitar Festival, which is now defunct. And that was the granddaddy of all of the guitar shows. It was the place that the consumer could come and meet the artisans try the guitars. Perhaps they had heard of us through some of the artists that represented our work or in magazine articles and interviews. Uh, maybe some of their friends had an instrument made by us, but they never had an opportunity to play or see one in person. There certainly wasn't the abundance of video available today. So it was really, well, I've heard of this man or woman and they make guitars, but I've never met them. So that was the opportunity. And uh, we did that for many years and it was really a word-of-mouth business selling guitars one at a time. It was hard. Now fast forward to today. You're very popular as a guitar maker. You have a waiting list of several years. You have people who are using your guitars around the world. Many of them are Grammy nominees. They're Grammy award winners. How do you promote yourself now? To be truthful, I'm trying to figure that out. What used to work is no longer valid. Print media is not an option. Even banner ads, online websites, etc. It's kind of a shotgun effect and I'm a very specific segment of the marketplace. So I'm really trying to figure that out. Social media is certainly valuable for brand awareness. I'm in a unique position where I'm really a luxury brand and there's a very, even a small segment of a very specific target market that would even be interested. I have been looking at brands like Patek Philippe and Rolls-Royce, etc., etc., and the difference between those, let's just call them objects for the sake of this discussion, is that if you have a driver's license or like shiny things, you can buy a very expensive timepiece or a million dollar automobile and drive it. You actually have to be able to play the guitar to have interest in buying an instrument of this price tag. Now, in some cases, when famous people and other accomplished musicians who perform with your instruments actually buy your instruments, of course, do you offer some kind of discount to them for promotional consideration, so to speak? Absolutely. I think what you said is also important is that, A, I do not give instruments away. Some of the major manufacturers do, and I understand why they do. My personal feeling is that when you offer something for free, it has no value and I don't care how high or low profile you are when you've spent money on something, well, okay, I bought this thing, I'm gonna use it. So the first thing is that everybody pays for their instruments and uh, it really depends on their profile. I do what I do because I myself am a guitar player and I am a lover of music and I, in many areas of my life, try and promote music and try and further the art. So I do discount instruments to legitimate artists. And I'm hesitating in searching for words because that's the challenge. I receive 
all kinds of email all the time. Hi, I have a YouTube channel. Can you send me a guitar? To me, an artist is somebody who has management, has a booking agency. They have a tour schedule. They can give me their touring schedule for a year in advance, et cetera, et cetera. So to me as a guitar maker, while it's great to have the instruments that you make with your hands, being played with somebody else's hands and bringing the gift of music to an audience, that's great. But just like those people stand on stage to make their living, this is how I make my living. So if somebody qualifies with the metrics that I just gave you as to actually being an artist, or not actually being an artist, but being a professional touring musician, yes, there's a discount available. And then, of course, a higher profile artist would get a more significant discount because let's face it if i have an artist who's playing 250 or 300 dates a year and they're filling soft seat auditoriums of 800 people a thousand people that's a thousand people every night who get to see my instrument on stage in concert in the hands of a gifted artist and that has a lot more added value than a picture in a magazine or a banner ad flashing on a website right now at the same time you have some expectations of them in exchange for the discount you've given them it's tough i i try and keep my business relationship with the artists kind of loosey-goosey uh, because A, they're artists, B, it's all about making music. The condition is that they do represent the brand. I don't have exclusivity deals. Nobody is an endorser and it's this is the only guitar that you know they play. I'm fortunate to have a few artists who have been playing my guitars exclusively for a decade. And to me, that's a huge compliment because some of them have a very high profile. And I know that every city they roll into, there's some guitar maker throwing a guitar at them. Hey, try this. And they choose to play my guitars. You know, we don't have a, a written agreement. The understanding is that depending on what the discount rate is, that they can't sell the guitar. That if they should decide to get rid of it, they return it to me and we figure out how it's going to end. Now, Michael, before we go any further, why don't you tell me about some of the machines here in your workshop that you use in the guitar making? Absolutely. As mentioned before, this is for milling rough lumber into more manageable pieces. In the corner, I have a very large 12 horsepower dust collector. Uh, this is something called a wide belt sander, and it brings wood to a very specific thickness. This is a disc sander. It's a big steel balanced disc that's very, very flat with a giant piece of sandpaper on it. And again, it's all about shaping wood and making things flat. I have a variety of band saws that are set up for different tasks, sometimes taking large beams of wood and cutting them into more manageable pieces, sometimes cutting curved shapes out of wood. This machine is known as an edge sander and it's a sandpaper belt that runs against a flat surface and then there's a table that's exactly square to it. So when I put a piece of wood up against this moving belt, it sands a perfectly flat square edge. I have a drill press in the corner and a lot of clamps. I have a little bit of tooling, some jigs that I use to make certain parts of the guitar on. Okay, and what's in this room over here? The rest of the shop is actually this area that we were just in is not a climate controlled space. Uh, there's no need for it. The rest of the workshop 
after you. The rest of the workshop is climate controlled. Uh, the floors are different because under the floor it's insulated and has a vapor barrier. All of the connecting walls to the rest of the building are also insulated with vapor barrier. And in this area, we live at a temperature of 23 degrees and 43% humidity, 365 days a year. It never changes. So this is what I refer to as the bench room because it's full of workbenches and at every workbench something different happens. The work moves around the shop. And this is an area predominantly inhabited by hand tools, chisels, hand planes, Japanese saws, a lot of measuring tools. Okay, so here in this room, the wood is requiring a specific temperature and a specific humidity. Yeah, wood is hydroscopic and it gives off and takes in humidity. So the instruments are built at this controlled climate for several reasons. One, it enables me to more or less ship around the world and as long as people reasonably take care of their instruments, it's supposed to be a legacy piece and last for generations. So that's a big part of it. The other part of it is that I built to very, very precise tolerances and it takes a period of about five months to build a guitar from start to finish. I don't want to dimension a part of the guitar at the beginning of the process and then five months later the climate has changed and maybe the wood has moved an eighth of an inch. The guitar isn't going to fit together. Well, let's go back into the other room now and there are a few more things that I want to get into. Michael, tell me about your shop concert series. It's a series of concerts that I began about six years ago in a response to the difficulties the independent artist was having making a living. Venues are disappearing, people aren't coming out to shows anymore, they're certainly not buying music. And I wanted to put my money where my mouth was. I'm always talking about my making guitars for the love of music. So I'm fortunate as we've discussed, to have several artists to profile as friends. And uh, it was an opportunity for me to present world-class music to a local audience. So I clean out my workshop three or four times a year, empty it out completely, and we can put in between 60 and 70 chairs. We max out at about 74. And we have a full stage that we set up, curtains, lights, a really good sound system. It's an acoustically excellent space to listen to music in. It's a really intimate, wonderful setting to watch concerts in. The artists benefit because they have a really appreciative crowd who do buy music, which is refreshing for them. And 100% of the door and all merch sales goes to the artist, which is a wonderful thing. For me, the sad part of it is that the amount of money that they make playing in a guitar maker's workshop is usually a really good night for them. Whereas it used to be the same people were filling thousand seat auditoriums. Understood. Now, Michael, we only have a couple of minutes left. So I wanted to ask you, what are really the secrets to your success as a business person and really extrapolate on that. What do you think are the secrets to success for anybody in the entertainment industry? The music business, the entertainment business has been going through metamorphosis. It's really in flux. So they have their own set of challenges. As for the business of craft, or art or music. I think the operative word is it's a business and you need to approach it as such. I have made a decision to represent myself at the very upper end of the marketplace 
the demands on what I produce are extremely high, but I don't think it's very different than somebody who's making a $3,000 guitar or a $1,000 guitar. You have to provide value per dollar and you have to look at your business or the way I look at my business is it's a, it's a train. At the front of the train is the engine and that's pulling the whole train and that engine is quality. And I'm going to date myself and say at the back of the train there's a caboose, <laughs> but they don't exist anymore. And the caboose is your ability to make a living. That's the money. So as long as the, the engine is strong and you're producing quality, Quality, the money will always be there. So my focus is always on delivering the best product that I can and providing exceptional customer service. And I think if you run your business or your music or your show that way, hopefully you'll be successful. But working hard is, is really important. There are a lot of people who sit back and post on Facebook or other you know, social media outlets, and then they're surprised when nothing happens. You actually have to produce something. Fantastic. Well, thank you for hosting me here at your workshop today. This has been a terrific experience. It was my joy, and thank you so much for inviting me. Thanks for tuning in to Monetizing Your Creativity. Be sure to join us next time by subscribing to us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. While you're there, please leave a review. It helps us with our ratings. You can also visit monetizingyourcreativity.com for more information about the show. And hey, be sure to tell your friends who want to understand how to monetize their creativity.